Well, good morning. <clears throat> Bear with me this morning. The Brooks family is a bit of a mess this past week. <laughs> We're all re- recovering from the flu this past week, so I apologize in advance. <laughs> Sound a little clogged. Well, we are in our third week of our study on how to grow as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus. Now, growing as a follower is not the prerequisite for God's love. That has to be said over and over and over again. It is not how we earn God's love. Everything we do here is established on this key point. That Jesus did the work necessary by dying on the cross on our behalf. We are saved by grace alone. It is the free gift given by faith in Jesus. But our faith is not just that Jesus has saved us from our sin. It's not just that he has set individuals free, but that he is bringing a new creation. Lives as God's sons and daughters. And actually, this new life is to be marked by servanthood. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, be servants to one another humbly in love. This is what we are after. How do we learn how to grow as followers? Not trying to earn God's love. He's already given it. But because we want to be with Him more. So let me ask you this morning, where have you grown as a follower this past year? In what context or in what settings, what situations do you, would you say have helped you the most to grow this past year? As a, as a preacher and a pastor, I spend a lot of time in study, a lot of time in reflection, in deep study of the Bible. And one of the highlights for me of this past year was getting to lead um, our sermon series in, in the book of Thessalonians. And I, I, just, I took away from that time just such a deep appreciation for this book um, that I got to spend so, so much time studying. But I have to say, when I hear this question, where have you grown as a follower this past year? Study never enters my mind. If I actually reflect on this as an honest answer, sure, familiarity and understanding of God's Word is absolutely huge. It's important. But for me, application of God's Word Inaction is where following comes to mind. I think of my wife. I think of serving my kids. I think of serving on the ministry teams that I get to be a part of. I think of the relationships and the opportunities given to me by God's grace to serve others, to be a servant to someone else in need. These are the places that I think of most that have transformed me most. So my question is, does growth, does following happen all up here? in the head? Or does follow actually mean something quite literal? What if following was about actually getting up out of the boat and letting your days be directed by Christ, by our King, by the living God? You notice that's our our image for this series has been that boat in the background and that moment when Jesus calls the disciples, he calls Peter and Andrew, says, follow me. What if that was quite literal? 
We defined at the beginning of this series a disciple as one who is following Jesus, learning to trust him more and committed to Jesus' purpose in the world. Being committed to Jesus' purpose in the world. This involves a couple things. First, gaining an understanding to say, well, what is Jesus' purpose in the world? But it's more than just gaining an understanding. There's an action attached to it. It's about being about Jesus' work. To say that this work isn't someone else's responsibility, it's my responsibility. And this is why I struggle so much with how the church has talked about discipleship over the last century. We've equated it with this intellectual exercise of gaining knowledge and wisdom and understanding. But what we've utterly missed is that discipleship isn't separate from serving. It isn't separate from spreading the word or from administration or from feeding the hungry or for caring for the widow or for serving as a missionary. We've got to recapture a culture of every person who is following Jesus as not just an attender, not just a member, but a disciple and a worker and a missionary. Disciples committed to responding to the needs that they see and saying, how can I be used to respond to those needs by the grace given to me by Jesus Christ? Now this morning, we're taking a look at a different context of discipleship in our church. Beyond just the growing that happens when we gather, that's what we talked about the first week, and beyond the sharing of life and the growing and the serving and the welcoming that happens in small groups, we're taking a look at a different type of, of type of relationship where we can grow to learn to follow Jesus more, and that is in ministry teams this morning. And we're going to see that growing as a follower of Jesus doesn't just involve our intellect, but it involves our hearts. It involves our hands and our feet. And this is the reality that we can grow to follow Jesus more when we are willing and ready to serve others. And I will say the call to serve extends far outside of our church community. We heard about a bunch of different opportunities this morning and even in the announcements within our community and outside. But our focus this morning is going to be on within our church family. Scripture says that we should serve the needs especially within the family. And that is the focus of our text this morning, which comes once again from Luke's second book, the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. You can find it in the Black Pew Bibles on page 887, and I also have it up here on the screen. But I would encourage you, if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, open them up, follow along. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Hear God speak through His Word. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. 
Now, our text this morning gives us just this snippet view, the snippet moment at a challenge in the new church following Jesus' ascension. Now, let me say right up front, I find it so encouraging that the New Testament writers do not gloss over the problems that arose within the church. I love the honesty that Luke raises these concerns and these challenges that are are faced. This is true in the epistles as well. Even prior to this chapter, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the chapter just preceding this. And now we have this interesting story here. So what is happening here? What's going on? Well, in those days, the church was not yet dealing with the question of Jews and Gentiles, of those who were part of Judaism and those who were from the Greek-speaking world around them who believed in the gods, the pantheon of gods. In this moment, at the very beginning, at the very start of the church, everyone was coming out of a Jewish background and a Jewish faith. But yet, bias and discrimination still were ready to rear their ugly head right here in this moment. And it appears it has to do with language. In the church, there was the primary language that people spoke was Greek. But there were those who, who came from a Jewish, a, a Greek-speaking background and those who came from an Aramaic-speaking background, the language that Jesus primarily spoke in. The Greek-speaking Jews were called the Hellenistic Jews, and those who spoke Aramaic were the Hebraic Jews. In addition, we see in this text that some of the most vulnerable people in that day were the widows. Now, this was nothing like our society today that still struggles with gender equality. In those days, widows had absolutely very few options on how to survive. They depended on the community for life. The church was rightly distributing and serving each other's needs as the occasions arose, as we saw last week. But for whatever reason, in our text and in the church in that day, there were those who felt like their needs were being neglected. It's kind of a sad situation when you look at it. Now, this is the specific situation that was going on in Acts chapter 6. But the core issue that remains today is that there are needs within the church community. This truth just will not go away. There are needs when we gather. This is true because the church is made up of people. And in any group of people, in a world marred by the brokenness of death, corruption, addiction, loneliness, and sin, there are inevitably going to be needs. And I love that we have this sort of case study situation here in the book of Acts laid out for us. Because what follows gives us a picture of how we can and how we should respond. Even though these widows had heard the gospel and they were captured by following Jesus now, they still needed to figure out, how do I get fed? How do I feed my children? Yes, the gospel meets our deepest need to be reconciled to God. But the gospel also has implications on how we now live as a community. We now live in a way that is marked by Jesus' new commandment to love one another, to share life, to serve each other, and to make sure that our family stays clothed and fed. So let me ask, what are the needs in our church? Do you have eyes that are on the lookout for need? 
Do you have your ears to the ground? Or maybe just to the person in the pew next to you. What are the needs in our church body? We live in such a rich environment where very few of us have to think about where our next meal is going to come from. But that's not always the case. That need still exists in our church family. Each one of us will go through seasons of being in deep, deep need, whether that is practical, physical, or even emotional. Within the church, there are needs. And like the Greek-speaking widows who needed to figure out how to get food, we have needs in our community. What are they? And perhaps the next step for us in following Jesus is to start considering how we can serve those needs. And this is all of our responsibility together. But does that mean that every person should be solving every problem? Let's look at the text. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This example here in the Jerusalem church raises two very important issues. The issue of responsibility and the issue of gift. Responsibility for this need is brought before the leadership team of the church. The twelve apostles. It was a major need that threatened the love within the church family. It threatened maybe keeping the church together in some ways. And so what do the 12 do? It says that they did not dismiss the issue. They actually made a very big deal about it. They gathered all of the disciples together to discuss what was going on. The whole church together. Now what's interesting is, is that the text says that they didn't make a unilateral decision even though they were in leadership. They not only brought the whole community together to give input, but they actually told the whole community to solve the problem. Brothers and sisters, you choose. This proposal pleased the whole group and they all chose. The 12 demonstrated leadership by saying that this is not beneath them, but by delegating and inviting the church to collaborate and participate together to meet this problem. But you will rightly note that they also didn't take it on themselves. They did not offer themselves up as the solution. And it wasn't that they thought this was beneath them. It was that they were so utterly focused on their calling. The twelve in their commitment to Jesus' purpose in the world were so focused on the two ministries that they knew with utter clarity that they were called to. The ministry of the Word and the ministry of prayer. So what do they do? They began by being clear. It would not be right for us to neglect these ministries that we are called to. This would be a wrong thing to do. Now, there isn't a long discussion on spiritual gifts here in this passage. That's for elsewhere in the book of Acts. It's for elsewhere in, in the epistles in the New Testament. But they do give a criteria for what needs to happen. They say, choose seven who are full of the Spirit and who are wise. Choose seven people who, whose gifts can be used to meet this need that has arisen. And for us today, this points to this really tough reality 
that in the church, 80% of the ministries are served by only 10% of the people. Well, that's, we haven't actually done the math, but that's sort of a, a phrase you might have heard before. The same people get asked and pulled into doing the same ministries over and over and over again. I can name five people off the top of my head who are involved in at least four different ministry teams. And that's a really beautiful thing in some ways, but also not. We do this terrible thing where when we see a need, we just say, I'll do it. And this is a big problem. Because responsibility cannot just fall to the same old people over and over again. This is a big problem because those people who always volunteer are neglecting, perhaps, the things that they are called to with utter clarity. But this is also a big problem because those whose gifts might be able to be poured into that need, might be used perfectly to meet that need, are never asked. They're never given the opportunity. They're never invited to participate and to grow. And the reality is, is that we as a church family, using this example from the book of Acts, we are all responsible to the needs within our community, but the response should not be to just have the same old people sign up to do the same things over and over and over again. It should be to have a church family that is united in participating together and collaborating together. And when we do this, what happens is that we grow as followers of Jesus as we serve others. Finally, in the last verse of our passage, we see this. This truth, that when we serve with our gifts, the gospel spreads. Verse 7, chapter 6. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What happens as a result when the church body is serving from a place of the gifts and callings that they have been given? Well, in Jerusalem, the gospel spread, and it says that it spread rapidly. Now, we don't take a narrative like this and just say it's, it's one for one. You know, this is, if we do this, then we'll become a megachurch, as if that was what we were going for anyways. But we should take this example as a model for growth. And two types of growth. First, what happens is that the church spreads in number. Yes. When those who are called to the ministry of the teaching of word are not too busy waiting on tables, but are preaching the word, and the word of God is going out, and the church was growing in numbers of people who were hearing the gospel. That's what was happening in the book of Acts. Those who were called in that season also to wait on the tables They were doing that. They were waiting on the tables. And the community problem that threatened the love within that community, well, it was actually flipped on its head now. And the church was united in every way. Love was tangibly felt in the community when the needs are met. But what's also happening here is that as the disciples were serving in new ways, the word of God spread in its effect as well in the disciples' lives. As these seven are given a new responsibility. They grow as followers and as disciples. We explicitly know this is the case from this passage because of what is to follow in the book of Acts. Two amazing stories are told about Stephen. And two more are told about Philip in the very next sections. 
And I don't think it's a stretch to think that as Stephen was there serving the widows, serving those who were previously neglected, waiting on tables, that he wasn't growing in his dependence upon God, that he wasn't learning something new about Christ's love. I don't think it's a stretch to think that that's exactly what was happening. And that he began to grow in faith, to grow in confidence, grow in trust, grow in commitment to Jesus' work in the world, that the seeds that were planted there, that they were continued to be watered, and he grew as he participated in that amazing ministry. And that's what directly leads to the next passage. And those who might be familiar with Stephen, where he goes to, we have a whole chapter that is given to the sermon that he gives on the entire history of Israel. And he even goes to the place of being the first martyr in the church. He dies for the sake of Christ. Philip as well. He's another one of the seven that are mentioned here in our passage. He shows up in two different stories. He's called by the Lord to serve in incredible ways. And church tradition for the whole Ethiopian church traces its line back to the work of Philip sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. So for our context, the good news of Jesus spreads in numbers when people serve from their gifts. But it also spreads in effect in individuals' lives, when they are depending upon God and learning how to serve more, because it's calling them forward in trust and commitment to what Jesus is doing in the world. And isn't that what we're after as we gather here as a church? The good news spreading to more and more people, but also spreading in its effect and changing lives in our hearts more and more as well. This whole narrative in many ways paints this beautiful, beautiful portrait of how we can grow as a church and as individuals to follow Jesus more and more when we serve, when we become responsible for the needs that are here within our church community as well as in our city, and when we open ourselves up to having our gifts and personalities and experiences be used for God's purposes. So let me ask this morning, community church, how should we respond? How do we grow as followers today? I said at the beginning of our study this morning that we are looking at how we can grow to follow Jesus more through serving on ministry teams. Because that's exactly what is happening in our text. Luke is describing maybe in some ways the very first ministry team in the church. The seven are chosen and they are called forward to serve on a collaborative team to meet a need within their community. In some ways, it's like the open door pantry team that we are seeing right here, right? Individuals who are following Jesus, full of wisdom to know how to serve others through providing food and waiting on tables to serve those who would otherwise go hungry. At Community Church, we have a host of ministry teams. I have just a sampling of them up here. And actually, on the welcome table today, we've printed off a list of all the different ministry teams. Actually, just a snapshot, because some are not even listed on that. There are so many different ministry teams within our church, from children's ministry, to greeting, to coffee, to prayer, to admin, to men's and women's ministry, to youth center, to Sunday morning seminar, to preaching, to global outreach. And this is just to name a few of them. And each one of these teams can trace their origin back to a very similar situation as the Acts Church in, in chapter 6. A need arose within the church community 
And the church responded. Coffee as well. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> We're missing a couple, that's right. Each team can trace its origin back to a need that arose within the community. I want you to consider maybe even just one of them this morning, children's ministry. Have you noticed how many children we have around here? It's like there's something in the water. Or we are just taking the be fruitful and multiply command very literally, very seriously around here. We have so many little ones in our midst and a lot more who are in the nursery right now. So they're going to be coming up through the ranks pretty soon. This is not a casual need in our church right now. I don't know how to make that any more clear. It's not a casual need. It's not a, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could give some childcare to the little ones so that we don't have crying babies in the sanctuary. It, this is a need in our church community. And it's not a new one. Katie Madden, our, our ministry coordinator, was going through some of the church ar archives this past year, and she found a document from almost 100 years ago that was reflecting on sort of the situation in the church at the time, and it said things were going great, except there's one need, a need for more children's ministry volunteers. <laughs> and there have been seasons where this has been better, and this is not one of them. It just isn't. A need has arisen in our community for the children in our midst to be shown God's love, to be discipled. Church, this, this can't just be the same people. It needs new people. Who are we going to choose? And I mean that like kind of literally. And if God is stirring in you this morning, I want to invite you, come talk to somebody with a white name tag after the service. There are some guidelines because children, but we want to walk with you. And we are in need of caring for this need in our church community and this season. But this isn't just a sermon about responding to needs. Our text is also talking about the growth of the church. It's about individuals growing to follow Jesus more. Are you committed to Jesus' purposes in the world, including the ones that are right here in our midst? Do you trust that as a community we have affirmed that things like discipling our kids is Jesus' purpose here? Well, then let me pose it to you this way. Perhaps following Jesus more this year means considering being a part of a ministry team, serving, being open to serving more and more, participating and committing to Jesus' purposes, perhaps exactly the growth that Jesus is calling you forward into. When Jesus calls Peter and Andrew out of the boat to follow him, it wasn't just come follow me and learn about what I have to say. No, he immediately followed the follow me with this and I will make you go and serve and act and participate and I'll make you fishers of men. Discipleship isn't just about learning. It doesn't just happen up here. It involves feet and hands it involves hearts and words and, and, and ears that listen and eyes that can see. But this isn't also just about joining a new team. There are many in this room who are serving. Like I said, I can name a handful who are serving on four at least. 
I want to invite you, let me ask you, are you growing in those places or are you surviving? Are you begrudgingly showing up? Well, maybe perhaps you're not serving in the right places. That could be the case. But more likely the case is we aren't being intentional as we serve. Are you reading God's word before stepping into the nursery? Are you praying as you review the budget or as you're painting a wall? Are you sharing life with others on the teams that you serve with? Teams, would you even use the word team to describe what's happening? Or are you filling a slot on the calendar? This is an opportunity to collaborate, to dream, to be creative, to meet the needs that those ministries came from. They came from real desperate needs. Now, there are other ministries and teams that happen outside of our church body. I, I want to make that clear. That, that doesn't just happen here. And many in our church are serving in those places. But this morning, I wanted to focus us a little bit on exactly those needs that are, have arisen within our church community and understanding that the ministry teams are places where we are serving to meet those needs. But they're also places where you can grow as a follower of Jesus because it's calling you forward into Jesus' purpose in the world. I want to invite you to consider this morning how you can follow Jesus by serving others through ministry teams this year. Our focus this January has, on, has been on how to build a culture of discipleship at our church where we are seeking and learning how to follow Jesus more and more. His grace is sufficient. His work on our behalf has, is what has saved us. By faith in the one who was utterly faithful, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. But now he has brought us into his glorious light, into new life as new creations. And we have this opportunity to follow him wherever he may call us to go. And my prayer this morning is that we wouldn't view growth as simply something that happens up here, but that it would have hands and feet. And that we'd be willing to respond in action to Jesus' kindness. And we would follow Jesus more and more, perhaps even through serving others. Our invitation has been to say there are places here in our church family where you can grow to follow. The first week we talked about what happens when we gather here in the service. Last week we talked about small groups, and this morning I want you to consider again ministry teams. We have one more week to go, and I pray that in our brief study, that through this time, that God would stir in your heart a desire to listen to Jesus more, to get into his word a little bit more, and that you would begin to respond, maybe for some of us for the first time, or maybe anew, to the places he's leading us where we can grow to follow him more and more. And perhaps that's by serving others this morning. Let us take these things to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so utterly thankful for the gift of new life. One of the most beautiful images within the gospel is that you have now given our lives purpose. That you have given us a calling that is of eternal weight. That there is deep meaning in our every breath. God, we are so thankful for that that you haven't just saved us from sin, but you've saved us into a new life 
in relationship, in knowledge of you, God. We are so utterly thankful for that. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see all the places that you would be calling us to go. God, may this not be a burden, but may it be an invitation. May we hear it and receive it with open arms, with glad hearts. God, we love you. You have not left us alone. You are Emmanuel, God with us. We are so utterly thankful for who you are. May you make us a people who long to be more like you, to follow you more and more, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.